of internet. Hard to say, it's a strange tree. My name is Matthew Kroll. And it's you city folk who call it nature. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film, The Eight Mountains. Guess who's back? <laughs> back again. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. The Eight Mountains. Oh, Eight Mile. Is yeah. sequel to Eight Mile? Yeah. There you go, yeah. 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 I was going to say sequel to The Seven Mountains. <laughs> The seven oceans, <laughs> the six, the six flags. Welcome, wow! Uh, five golden rings. Yeah. Uh, how are you? Four Ninja Turtle. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> good. How have you been? How was your trip? Uh, it was good. Thank you for covering for me while I was away for the last couple of weeks. We, we, in addition to covering for me for the last couple of weeks, we also banked like four episodes before I left or something yes. like that. So it's actually been a solid six weeks or so since I've recorded a podcast or talked about movies in any sort of profound way. <laughs> uh, so this may be uh, a slightly steeper learning curve. But uh, as you mentioned, I was uh, traveling. Uh, I went back to New Zealand and to Fiji, uh, which was lovely. Uh, a very hectic short trip um, uh, that was delightful. I, I thought I, I, I knew you were going to ask that question, so I was thinking about like movies that I watched while I was away. Okay, uh, because uh, it was an interesting phenomenon because there is a flight that goes directly from JFK to Auckland, New Zealand. It is seventeen hours long, um, and so as you can imagine, the, there is a lot of um, movie watching opportunity on that flight, and I certainly loaded up. Uh, my my laptop with movies to watch, uh, none of which I actually watched on the plane. Yeah, and 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 I think there's something about um, me in my head gearing for the discomfort of those 17 hours, where I didn't want to like do the thing when you're on a plane of like getting your laptop out, plugging your headphones in, you know, like trying to make yourself comfortable for two hours while you're like unbearably uncomfortable. Yeah, so I actually. Uh, Believe it or not, on that first 17-hour league, I actually managed to get a little bit of sleep. Wow. But I watched a couple of New Zealand films. I finally caught up with Michelle Savile's film, Millie Lies Low. Uh, Michelle was on our uh, first-time director's episode with Josh Horowitz. Yeah. Um, and it was great to finally see that film. I actually reached out to her because it has one of my favorite lines almost in any film ever uttered by a character. And I, I reached out to her and let her know of that. I, I don't think I'll... I don't want to spoil that line because it comes later in the movie here, but if you can, uh, check out Millie Lies Low. Okay. Um, again, this is the weird thing, is that a lot of people I came up with in New Zealand have they've made their first feature film, so they're all available on the Air New Zealand flight. So I was watching that. My friend Mark <laughs> Alberston had a short film, uh, Datsun, on there, which was excellent. I also watched. Um, and then there was a documentary, which I didn't realize was a New Zealand film, but a, a film called Capital, which is a documentary about uh, 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 Thomas Piketty's book, Capital about the nature of capitalism and 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 what capital is mm. and it was great um so yeah and then when i landed in new zealand it was the new zealand film festival uh was running at that time and boy do i miss the kind of weird tiny culture of <laughs> wellington central when it comes to the new zealand film festival everyone's going to the film festival everyone's talking about the movies they've seen everyone's like got something random that they've seen that they want to tell everyone about. Um, so I love being in Wellington during the film festival. I actually only got to one movie, which was a South Korean movie called Phantoms, uh, which I didn't uh, love. Um, Affleck was the bomb in Affleck Phantoms. was the bomb in Phantom. Uh, uh, so the, how have you been? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I want to I want to I want to circle back to your plane uh yeah, yeah. your your plane movie discussion because yeah. I too have found that that always happens. I load up the iPad with shows yeah. and movies and everything, and I inevitably do not interact with the hours upon hours of media that yeah. I prep, with the exception 
of this film. I watched this film on a plane back from PAX uh, because I absolutely, it was the only time I had available to do so. Oh, I'm, I'm bummed about that. Me because, too. Because I watched this on a projector at home and I saved it for the projector and, and boy, I was, as I was watching, I was good. This is the reason I have a projector. Yes. This movie yep. is the nope. absolute reason I have a projector. A thousand percent. I yeah. understand. So if my review or my discussion, I should say, is slightly colored, I will always come back <laughs> to the fact I watched it on an iPad mini. Um, as nature intended. But <laughs> as no, nature intended. I want to, I want to. I, I'm curious from listeners, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com, email us in, do you fall into this weird travel black hole, prepping just all of this media, and then either doing the exact opposite thing that you prepped, doing work, sleeping, or watching one of like the 200 movies they have <laughs> on the damn plane. Yeah. Um, I- I will say this. Uh, one of the things we did prep is that my son is watching Avatar The Last Airbender, the TV show. Sure. And so I was watching it with him. So we downloaded all the episodes. I got a special uh, Bluetooth dongle, which allows two headphones to connect to it at once. Mm-hmm. And so we were going to like really, you know, we were re- ready to watch basically uh, every episode of Avatar The Last Airbender. I fell asleep as I do on a plane. And my son, who should be sleeping, decided to stay up and watch the entire series without me. Uh, and and was gleeful in the fact that he had gotten ahead of me. Um, so that was that was the, that was the only thing I was really bummed about, and that's basically my homework for the next couple of weeks is to catch up with Avatar: The Last Airbender. I think to the point he I think he wants to go as Ang for um, for Halloween this year. Hell yeah! Well, I was trying to figure out. Jamie and I were trying to figure out what our Halloween costumes are going to be. We have no idea. I um, uh, I'm doing Aquaman because I've got the hair. You do. Uh, I, I have to do Aquaman at least once before I cut the hair. Sure. I, 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 I look forward to... Uh, so this is interesting. You have to get the Momoa suit. Yeah, I found one in a cosplay costume. It's about 200 bucks, which I think is a lot. Eh, uh, take uh, it from someone who's bought many a $200 costume. You can get yeah. a couple of years out of it. Yeah, well, because the the alternatives were were just all body spandex, and I was like, yeah. I I don't think my summer diet has has lengthened right. me to to wearing spandex. And listen, I want to I, I you know you have to do it when you have the beard. Uh, the viewers of this podcast, and I say yeah. viewers for a very specific reason, will notice that the graphic of this podcast features a beardless Shahir. Weirdly beardless. enough, because I found an old picture that worked perfectly to put our heads on the two men of this film from a, a mid to far shot working on the roof of their, their house. <laughs> it just worked too well, and I just I, I was like, Ugh, I don't have a sideways picture of Shahir with his beard. So <laughs> I'm glad to see that the beard will be getting more prevalent uh, Halloween uh, airtime. It certainly has. Um, uh, and uh, I will eventually shave it at some point because I do look like a mountain man. But perhaps appropriately for this particular movie. Um, this movie was mentioned to us in a thread that I posted in March on Twitter of movies that we must see that we may have missed. Uh, we're open to suggestions. I think we were having a sort of a conversation internally about like what movie we should see. Sure. And um, uh, listener... Logan, uh, I'm not going to say the full name just for for uh, privacy. Secret reasons. Logan, <laughs> Secret Logan, but you can find AKA it. Weapon X, <laughs> wrote in that the, my favorite movie of last year was the Belgian Italian production, The Eight Mountains, a beautiful movie about friendship in the Italian Alps. Another recommendation is Emergency, not quite the same quality, but as good and relevant comedy. <laughs> um, and it was weird, it, you know. This happens from time to time, and I, and I don't want to presume 
that uh, this wouldn't be the case. But it was like I knew nothing about the Eight Mountains. I hadn't heard the title. I didn't know anything about it. I'd looked up. The, I looked up the director at the time, and I knew one of his movies, Beautiful Boy, with Timothy Chalamet and Steve um, Steve Carell. But I hadn't seen it at that point, uh, and so I was. <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm just going to keep this in the back of my mind. And then for months after that, I was like always checking, is the Eight Mountains available to screen? Is the Eight Mountains available to screen? To, to the point where it became kind of a ritual where I was just looking for this movie. And I, was, I couldn't figure out why it was the case that it screened in theaters, but it just had not come out on VOD yeah. at all until a few weeks ago. When it uh, it looked like they'd done a special distribution deal with Criterion, and so it exclusively launched on the Criterion channel, which I was very excited about. But also because we got a specific email that I thought would tie in well to what this movie was. Now I want to say I I thought this before I saw the movie. I still think this after I seen it. But it was kind of a little bit of kismet here, which I was trying to like make the two things work. Um, so if you don't mind, I'll, I'll read the email out. And I, I don't know if we have to answer it right away, but I think. What is in this email uh, will be a conversation point as we go through the episode, uh, through the film. Here's how I'd like to do it. Okay, sure. I think you should read the email and yeah. we should go, mm-hmm, thank you very much. And yeah. then we get into the movie. Right. <laughs> and then we come back, maybe even reading the email quickly again and go into the day. Because it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dichotomy uh, and, and you are right. It is a a, a kiss, a, a bit of a kismat or a sh- shot shimat. I don't, I don't understand some some sort of combination of our names uh, with the word kismat. Oh, of course, because there's the mat and the kiss. Yes. There you go. Yes. Kismat. Yeah. Connor writes in, been a longtime fan of the show for quite a while, and just wanted to take a moment to thank the both of you for filling countless hours on the road with highly entertaining deep dives into all of the latest movies. I come for the movies and stay for the camaraderie and engaging discussions both of you bounce off one another. Your rapport is always refreshing and leads me to a few questions. Since you've both been doing this for the large part of almost a decade, (laughs) amassing close to 500 episodes... What do you feel you've learned about yourselves uh, with each other throughout this journey? How has your outlook on art changed or perhaps evolved as you know a large majority of the art uh, you consume will be talked about together on the show? Seeing how organic your friendship is in light of pop culture discourse and many other things in the show, what do you guys feel is a trait you value in each other because of this show? I know quite the bevy of questions, but I'm quite curious to know more about you both as opposed to asking movie-related questions. Last question, I promise. Do you guys have a favorite episode or one that comes to mind you loved recording the most? Keep it up. Much love from California. You know what? Here's what I think we should do. Now I'm, I'm adjusting it ever so slightly. First of all, thank you, Connor. Second of all, let's talk about our favorite episodes real quick, then okay. get into this movie, then go into the rest of the point. Because at least that's movie-centric in a weird way, and it will help right. set us up. Okay. Uh, do you want to go first on that? Well, I think we both had the sort of same answer we to kind this question, of did. which was that the the special topic episodes, which we haven't done one in a while, but things like can Batman be black or uh, race and representation, art versus artist, um, uh, the Desert Island movie, our birthday exchanges, those ones are always fun. Uh, if not only because they break the monotony of of just you know getting here and doing an episode, not that that that's a problem, but it's just like it's fun to like try something different sure. with each of those episodes, which I think is a lot of fun. Um, I certainly you know episodes where we've had uh, really um, great guests, we always have great guests, but uh, you know the one that comes to mind um, probably 
in relation to this uh, film, again, is Mark Pagan from Other Men Need Help, who came on to discuss uh, Yitu Mama Tambian with us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that, that, you know, that springs to mind. And then there's always the arguments, you know, like the big, the big arguments. Because, Connor, one thing you have to know about Matt and I is we hold a grudge and we yes. don't we the the arguments are a hundred percent real and <laughs> they last a while there are and and they, they go beyond the purview of the podcast there there will be email exchanges there'll be text messages there'll be furious rants in the middle of the street there will be phone calls there will be exchanges the whole nine yards the arguments are very real and we always make up at the end or and, and and so they're always like you know, I think what's fun about them is they really highlight what I think has been interesting about the show is that you and I just fundamentally like could not be more polar opposite in terms of what we like in movies. They, there are crossovers certainly, sure, There's certainly yeah, crossovers. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because and again, I will we're just touching it now before we sort of go back into it. But the the it's not just it, when it started. I feel like it was very like highbrow, lowbrow vibes, right? right? Yeah. And I don't yeah. think it stayed that way. No. But there's still differences that are like I was gonna say one of my favorite episodes, Connor. Even though I got fucking purely dogpiled on, <laughs> was do you want to guess Shahir? Do you want to guess dog-piled which one? Dogpiled on. Was it, it the was, Scott Pilgrim? Yes. <laughs> one of my favorite episodes of Scott Pilgrim versus the world because it challenged me so hard. Uh, go back and listen to me get really upset. Um, <laughs> I don't think you were. I, I don't recall you being internally. Super upset. I think one, the, one of the reasons why I think that episode sticks out is because I think I, I hit it well. <laughs> you um, internalized it. But, uh, and, and then, uh, as she was saying, like the specialty episodes, one of them, uh, honestly, our interview with Randy Cornfield, the yeah. writer of Jingle All the Way, like kind of blew my mind. Uh, yeah. Go back and listen to that. That was years ago. Uh, and I just absolutely loved uh, that experience of getting to talk to him. So, like, those things I think are special too. And we'll get more into the 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 argument and the and the friendship, the the personal stuff near the end, so we don't we don't bore people that are just here for this movie about friendship, not <laughs> our friendship. <laughs> oh, and I, I I wanted to bring that up because I think the questions about friendship are pervasive through this film, and hopefully. Uh, as we've always said on the podcast, the the podcast the discussion is continuing the conversation that the movie begins, and this is one deeply about long-standing friendships between two men who are building a house together. You could say our house is this podcast. I think and it let's is. Let's see how we go. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us what the Eight Mountains is about? I sure can. IMDb describes the Eight Mountains as. An epic journey of friendship and self-discovery set at the breathtaking Italian Alps. The Eight Mountains follows over four decades the profound, complex relationship between Pietro and Bruno. Yeah, I never had a friend like Bruno. Yeah, we don't That's talk no. about him. We don't talk about and, him. And and also Wanda's brother's a bitch. Um, <laughs> regardless... Yeah, that's what the film is about. I think it does a little self-aggrandizing, but I do feel like that it's appropriate for the level of um, sort of awe-inspiring visuals I got to watch on a postage stamp. Now, uh, when you say self-aggrandizing... You, I'm saying you, the description of the, the IMDb you're aware thing. that the filmmakers may not be the ones responsible for the description. Yeah, I know. There's one person who <laughs> shall remain nameless, because I don't know who they are, who writes them all for the Internet Movie Database. 
Right. Okay. And that's the person. I'm never blaming I'm never blaming well, the you, filmmakers. You just said it was self-aggrandizing. And I was like, this might not be the filmmakers making writing this description. Sure. But <laughs> I, you know what? So let's uh, uh, pre pretend. No, it's not pretentious. I, maybe I'm self-aggrandizing as in as the writer knowing it's not the person who made the movie right. writing as if they made the movie. That's well, what uh, I'm feeling. Okay. Okay. Well, let me read you out another uh, a quick uh, um, description from the New York Times as well. Um, the author was Manolo Dargas, and uh, based on a slender, celebrated 2016 novel by Italian writer Paolo Cognitti, The Eight Mountains tracks Pietro both across decades and continents, charting his life through an, the intense friendship that he makes in childhood with Bruno. They first meet in the summer of 1984 when Pietro's parents, the family uh, lives in Turin, rent an apartment in a village in the Aosta Valley, a shockingly beautiful swath of the Italian Alps that borders both France and Switzerland. There, nestled amongst the velvety green slopes and towering over the uh, jagged soaring peaks, Pietro finds a friend, an ally, a role model, and in time, a sense of belonging. Uh, which I think is a uh, beautiful. Manuel Dargas is always uh, always a wonderful writer mm -hmm. to read. Um, Matt, uh, I was uh, struck by this film because I'd been waiting to see it for so long, and I actually reached out to uh, Logan on Twitter, who had uh, recommended the film to us, and said to him, um, it, "You know, it, it, it doesn't happen to me very often. I, that maybe that sounds um, slightly pretentious, I guess." Uh, but you know, I tend to know a lot about what movies coming out. I didn't know anything about this movie. Yeah. Um. And 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 I said to Logan, "What a wonderful gift you have given me, uh, the opportunity to see this movie because I uh, my breath was taken away. Uh, I fell in love from frame one of this movie. I I absolutely adored the quietness of it, the stillness of it, the the kind of breadth of the relationships that ha that occur throughout the film. The, the just on a purely technical level, the cinematography is oh, yeah. just exquisite. Mm -hmm. And if you can watch this on the biggest screen possible, uh, please do, because it is just staggering how beautiful this film is. Um, but also, uh, it gave me a lot to chew on in terms of where I'm at with my life right now. Oh, God. And what I'm thinking about in terms of my life and, and how my life works. Um, and there's a central metaphor that comes uh, through this movie, which is actually the title of the movie as well, um, which just gave me a lot to chew on. And I want to dive into that uh, in, in some detail as we move through the movie. But Matt, what did you think of The Eight Mountains? I uh, totally agree with you on the cinematography, even though it was uh, super tiny on the thing that I watched it on. It was, you could tell it just had like, I don't know, it it, that to me was the the driving factor of emotional weight was honestly how the images were shown to me in this mm -hmm. movie, um, more so than I think any other element. Okay. Um, I, I I didn't love it as much as you seem to. Okay. Um, and I again I want to make sure that I'm, I'm going to preface my my entire discussion with this. Okay. I see the absolute brilliance that this movie is in many of its forms like i get it on a clinical level okay uh and i did watch it in a way it was not really probably shot to be to be experienced i want to make that very clear right. and lastly i want to go back and re-watch this on an actual screen that I will do the imagery that they crafted justice because right. I think a lot of that is, uh, you know, obviously important to the experience of seeing this movie. Um, with all of that preamble, um, I definitely enjoyed my time watching it, though I, 
the, the two characters' journey is both incredibly deep, and then I also felt sometimes like weirdly rushed and shortcut. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was odd. I never quite, and I, I was I was worried that it was like maybe the language barrier, but I don't think it was. But maybe as we're talking, maybe I missed something uh, in in sort of transitional moments that you caught. Uh, again, in the uh, feet, the, the the eight or nine more feet you had watching this movie <laughs> than I did. Um, but there were also, uh, again, I want to make it very clear, not only is this movie really exquisite to, to, to look at and I, I believe experience, but also there were certain moments that like, uh, one in particular I'll get to that like hit me like a truck and it wasn't necessarily based around the friendship. Okay. Um... Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I think without getting more into it, that's kind of my first read. And I know I, I want to just fully admit that it's it, it, it might be an unfair one, but I didn't, in fact, resonate with it, I think, as hard as you did, at least on first viewing. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, when, as I was watching it, I, I thought a lot about uh, Yutumama Tambian, which is why I mentioned Mark Bagan as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also recently watched... Um, the film Close, uh, directed by Lucas Dant, uh, which is also a Belgian film. This is a Belgian-Italian co-production, um, which was about two young boys who form an intense friendship mm-hmm. uh, that is torn apart at the seams um, for reasons that are absolutely worth watching. And that movie, and and for example, the film Close, like, had me weeping throughout uh, in sort of ways. And this and this movie, um, uh, The Eight Mountains, had me sort of more in a reflective mode than that. And so this is not to say that, you know, every movie should give you the same experience, what have you. But I think this is a much quieter movie than, than the others that we described uh, a lot less raucous than you do Mama Tambian and a lot less, um, uh, focused on the, um, the sense of tragedy. In fact, the, the tragic moments that happen in these movie in, in the eight mountains sort of happen, uh, almost coincidentally, uh, or feel coincidental because um, I think the movie is taking the long view of what a life is, and 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 in that what what it reminded me of is uh, Paweł Pawlowski's film that we reviewed a few years ago, Cold War, um, yeah. which um, has these sort of amazing elliptical moments where you know, for example, in the Eight Mountains, we cut from a moment where Pietro is on his bed or Pietro is, is playing outside to Pietro, someone dressed like Pietro is playing on his bed and he's suddenly an adolescent and he's changed and he's like, he, you know, the, the sort of uh, baby fat of his face is all gone. And in that single cut, which is quite, you know, quite quite a big moment for you to kind of like, it doesn't explain it or, you know, like give you a title or anything. Your brain has to kind of, do the legwork to go, okay, what's happened mm-hmm. in the eight years? Because what I'm feeling about this boy was that when he was young, he was jovial and cheery and he met this friend that meant a lot to him. And now he was sullen and sunken and something had changed. And I, and I started thinking about the, the changes that had happened to him in the last eight years. And I think, you know, like Cold War, uh, the film invites you to interpret the, that time as opposed to show it to you. Hmm. Um, and I, I found that quite beautiful and quite, so, you know, again, just a quite a, 
uh, a trusting thing of the audience and, and allowed me to kind of navigate the space in interesting in, in an interesting way. I think reflective, uh, the word you used, is probably the best to describe this film's almost entire structure, maybe more so for the first act than any other. But, like, it jumps... It jumps around like memories do, mm -hmm. and I don't know if there was something about that tact that maybe, in addition to it, uh, I don't think I want. I don't think I want to sort of blame this feeling on it being in a language I don't understand. Right. But there was there was like I felt, I felt like. It was specifically, and this is, I guess, minor spoilers for the first end of Act One, maybe. Mm -hmm. But as this film goes on, um, there's a time when uh, uh, Bruno and Pietro are friends, and they go hiking with the dad, with uh, Pietro's mm -hmm. dad. Uh, they have a, 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 an emotional sort of moment together, and whatever it seems like, Pietro or, or his fa Pietro's father is very supportive of Bruno and like wants to like pay for his schooling to get him away from the mountain. But Pietro is like, no, that's he wants to be here. That's what makes it special. And da 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 da. So there's well, like, uh, that's a revelation that comes a little bit later. Sure, right? sure, yeah. sure. But the 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 crux that I'm sort of talking about is the time span that we jump from teenage Pietro to grown adult Pietro who gets a call from his mother saying that uh, Pietro's father has passed away. Mm -hmm. And I, again, this is why I feel like the, the term uh, reflexive, uh, reflective, excuse me, is very apt because I remember feeling in that moment, I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> we're doing, okay, uh, I, Wait, why? Wait, was he not around? Like, I didn't get the feeling that Pietro had like, like, fully bailed. Like, as he, it, we were, were slowly uh, told as the movie goes from, uh, from being around his father. I also didn't get, um, like the exact why, other than teenage angst, he was mad at his father. Like, I get it based on some things that are said, like maybe throughout the film. Mm -hmm. But like it just seemed like he was mad that he wasn't around. Yeah, I, there's. It I, was. I wanna... It was again. And so just to finish up my thought, like, yeah, nothing is terribly clear, which is very uh, intrinsic of memory or reflecting on you know your life as you've gotten older. Like right. that felt true to the pacing of what I think this story was trying to get across. I did find it. Because I kept having to do, as you sort of said, like my brain had to do the legwork. Yeah. In that first third in particular, I was pulled out of the emotional pull of it a few times because I was trying to figure out not only what was going on exactly, but why characters were reacting ways that they were. So I think we should um, really go into full-blown spoilers here um, because we're going to discuss in detail yeah. the, the, the sort of linearity of Pietro and Bruno's life together. Um, and what happens to them. But I think there was something interesting. So you, you mentioned that um, um, Pietro's father, uh, and by the way, uh, Italian pronunciation is horrible, and there's two dialects of Italian in this film. Yep. Um, you know, like uh, B uh, Bruno says, calls Pietro at some point, Bieri, which is how you would say it in the Alps, in the mountains or something like that. So his mm -hmm. name changes as well. So fully aware if any Italian listeners are listening and we, we are butchering this, apologize in advance. Um, the, there's an interesting thing that you mentioned there, which is that there's a, there's a revelation after 
Pietro's father dies, that Pietro, uh, that Bruno was invited to stay with the family. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. Hang on. Let me, let me back that up. Bruno's father, Bruno was invited to stay with the family. His mother rejects it. But we later learn after uh, Pietro's father has died that Bruno and Pietro's father took up their friendship to a greater extent and went hiking all the way through the Italian Alps together and were together in a much more profound way than Pietro was aware of at the time. Um, and, and this comes kind of both as a little bit of a, a shock to the system for Pietro, but also maybe was expected given the response to this one incident that, that Pietro says well, he will remember for the rest of his life, which is when they were hiking up the glacier. And Pietro's father clearly wants to climb up this glacier um, and, and talk sort of beautifully about the fact that the water that they're drinking may be thousands upon thousands of years old because everything comes downhill from the glacier. And the glacier is a place that stores memories for, for people. And they come to this crack where... Uh, crack in the glacier which they have to jump over and Bruno is able to jump over effortlessly without any sort of thought to it and Pietro's father is very like oh well done congratulations or you know like that's that's marvelous and Pietro himself kind of has uh, a sort of air sickness and, and can't do it and I think that that plays into this idea that I that I also recall from uh, Wes Anderson's The Fantastic Mr. Fox of the surrogate child um, which is that for Pietro perhaps the reason why he felt a little abandoned at that moment, even though his father isn't like outwardly abandoning him, is he can see that Bruno gives him something that Pietro can't, which is this companionship and this love of the mountain that Pietro doesn't have. But the interesting thing here is that as the movie progresses, we find that both the characters, Pietro and Bruno, are circling around some of the similar ideas about what it means to travel and to find oneself, but do it in two different ways. And that is the title of the movie, The Eight Mountains, because later in the film, Pietro goes to Nepal and he meets a monk or a Buddhist who says, are you traveling the eight mountains? And he, and he draws a diagram of the eight mountains and he says, some people stay at the summit of the mountain and that is how they discover who they are. Other people travel all the way around and then discover who they are. Um, or discover who they are through their journey. Mm -hmm. And that is the two journeys that these two characters are on. Bruno never leaves the mountain. He stays at the summit, and he is that's where he's drawn to. Like literally. Pi <laughs> yeah, like literally. Pietro travels, and he finds himself. And in fact, he finds, he finds himself to be a great mountaineer over time, one that his father would have loved to have traveled with. In fact, he redoes many of the journeys that, that Bruno and his father did. Um, you know, like discovering their journal entries along the way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's this beautiful thing about like each person's journey takes a different route. And each person's journey is, is, wine, is unique to who they are. And, you know, like, <laughs> you know, just to talk about it on a related level with me, um, my father is an avid golfer. Like, he is a great, 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 great golfer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, can play, you know, I think of all his passions in life, golf is the central passion. Sure. And when we were a little kid, when I was a little kid, he always wanted to take me to play golf. And I was a little shit about it and did not want to play golf. I just found golf boring and right. dull and I hated it. Um, now, uh, and there's an interesting thing that's happened, because I have a niece now who my, my father looks after, uh, my sister's daughter, and she is a great golfer. And, and he plays golf with her all the time. And she is magnificent as a golfer. She's nice. incredible. And, and uh, like, 
I, I, I'm beyond the age now where that matters to me. I'm very happy that they've, you know, that these two souls have kind of found each other and then this sort of similar love for the thing. But it's like, I can understand the surrogate child, you know, the kind of idea that's oh, happening sure. here. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, your question about why Pietro um, feels a certain way about his father, without, again, the film is not explicit about it. I think there is something to this idea that there is the surrogate child that offers him something that Pietro can't. And, it's not, and I don't think the father is malicious about it or anything like that or 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 you know um in any way you know um ruining the relationship but i think it dry you know pietro takes a different journey and eventually and oddly ends up in the same place which is that he is a great mountaineer right so a couple things there like i totally get the th- the thing with your dad in the golf with the i cut that to be like uh fishing with my dad and it's pretty yeah. much the same exact thing the only I still don't like fishing, and the only thing that me and my dad really enjoy as a as a activity other than just hanging out and like chatting is yeah. uh, going to the casino. Uh, <laughs> that's literally the one thing we do. But uh, I also had a few sort of surrogate. Uh, I'll call them uh, man- manly children, mm. uh, in the sense that um, one of my a few of my dad's workers that he's worked with doing home improvement and stuff. Uh, yeah. Both when I was young. And also when I was away uh, yeah, for yeah. school and and working at MTV and all this stuff, like there was always like uh, everyone like like actually like two or three I'd say over the course of the years like people that were like my age at the time. Yeah, and so it's like oh man, yeah. but like at well, the same time, but yeah. at the same time I don't want to be doing it, and I'm glad he <laughs> has help and someone to hang out with and have fun. So like that's pretty cool. But yeah, then. Yeah. So, so I totally get that, and I definitely felt that as well as I was watching it. The thing that got me and that like bugged me slightly was I we do not get, or I didn't get. Again, email us in onlymoviepodcast@gmail.com if you can answer this, or Shahir might do it right now. What was the big bad incident, or what were the thousands of small incidents that caused Pietro to like bail on his family for ten years, and not just like travel the world, but like not be in contact with his dad like because you're right like there are moments in the movie uh, uh, um it's funny when when he's a child and they're doing the hike and like all that stuff the one we've talked about his dad's nothing but like supportive like mm. he, he, you can see as an adult like oh there's he, he's slightly disappointed but like he he helps his son they go back down he says there's no shame in it like he's totally fine he offers to pay for his friend's school. He tries to do all of these things, but like he also, we're told he works a lot. But the problem, I think, with the structure that didn't make that feel resonant is we kind of always see him around. We never see like uh, Pietro like waiting for him or like any, like he's just always around, even though I know like he's not supposed to be when they're up in the mountain all the time. He only like came up for like two weeks. Yeah, but the way yeah. it's presented never made me feel that way. And then when the, when teenage Pietro kind of blows up at him about like never being around and always at work. Hmm. I it it's weird to say that it didn't feel earned for me. Mm-hmm. Because it's not like any of the performance like all the performances were super nuanced and everything was human and teenagers blow up like that shit all the time. Right. But I, like I don't know like I think you know now that I'm just talking about it, maybe it's because like I actually have cut family members out of my life. Right. And I find it to be for extreme reasons. Right. And I was waiting for that extreme. I would never cut uh, my uh, my one father out of my life. So I was like, if that was going to happen, I'm wondering why that is. And right. maybe I got stuck on that a little bit. Because, again, I, I, where, where the movie ends up and the yeah. reasons why 
is is absolutely lovely. It's just yeah. I felt like especially in that first third, we weren't. I mean, purposely so, like, shown all the information. It's just like, oh, well, this is life then. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I, I, I think I would chalk it up to um, there isn't – there is love between his father, Pietro and his father, but there isn't this kind of intense bond. And, in fact, one of the things that Bruno and Pietro kind of bond over is that their fathers aren't around. Like, right. Bruno's father isn't there. Pietro's father isn't there, then turns up for a short period of time. Uh, and then and then they go on this hike and you remember when when um, Pietro's father offers to take Bruno to school, Pietro is upset by this because he's like, no, this is my friend, not yours. And and I think there's this sense that he has that again, Bruno offers his father something. And and the the moment when Bruno's fa- when Pietro's father dies as well, you know, like before he dies, he goes out. He's in his factory, and he and he goes out and he looks at the mountain. And that's what he, you know, like that's what he spends his time doing is looking out at the mountain and where he is the happiest is on the mountain. And while Pietro goes with him, he can only go to a certain extent. And I think what's beautiful about the film is that Pietro finds his own way to the mountain without his father. You know, like I think that that's that's a beautiful sentiment. I guess. Does he? He finds that he uh, he the, finds his way. Like he becomes a great hiker and he travels. Sure, he, he does, does the metaphorical hike. mountain, but like then it's no, almost the literal mountain. Well, he yes, climbs but, mountains. Sure, but at the same time, like, like I, I, the thing I like about the movie is the sort of different journeys we that, that the movie presents. Either you right. go around the eight the circle of the mountain, or you go to the top of it, etc. Yeah, it it kind of leaves an odd taste in my mouth because like. This is too simple. I I don't know how else to say it. We I can walk it back or I can do whatever. But like, it kind of made me like make Pietro, especially the way that like we're not presented with all the information a lot, or everything's kind of shortly, uh, you know, quick handed to get us to a certain place. The fact that he does find his own way, and the fact that whatever is it, yes, it's great, and I'm glad for that character to do that. But at the same time, it's kind of like. Well, you kind of then pushed your dad out for no real reason like, th- that, were, that were given. Like, I, I just don't I, – I think the thing there is that these two characters are out of time with each other. They're, they're, they're out of sync with each other in, in that respect, and I don't think that's a great tragedy. I think that is just what it is. Like, the, the other thing to echo here is that Bruno's relationship to the mountain is the inverse of what's happened to Pietro's family as well, which is that Bruno's – uncle uh was a cheese farmer uh and you know had cows and and they they mentioned in voiceover that bruno's father or no bruno i think believes says it you know was the first person to sell the cows and get rid of it and get off the land Mm -hmm. you know and bruno was the opposite of that he was like this is where i'm meant to be and this is where i make the most sense and so you know bruno's relationship with his father was kind of the you know in a way out of sync with in the same way that pietro's is and i think there's this sort of i i don't think the movie is searching for the break point at when these things happened i think what the movie is doing is observing that these people who can be father and son can be out of sync with each other and that is not a great loss or a great tragedy that is what it is and the journey, what's interesting for Pietro is, I think, even though his father has passed, he comes to have an understanding about who his father was by following his journey. 
and or, you know like following literally going to the places where he where he was and understanding that that the mountain meant something profound to him um sure I, but like yes I, all, <laughs> all those things are true but it doesn't make me like Right, and I I understand that. I think I just just to take it from a different point of view. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Is that for me, it was wonderful to sit and soak in the movie and think about those relationships, not as binaries where something explosive happens or something bad happens in dramatic way, but just again to take the long view of these relationships that the film has, which is that they shift over time. Yeah. And they change over time. And I and, get and, that. I yeah. I think for me, I, I I don't need a big one moment explosion thing. I don't think I was shown enough even small things right. to to warrant where characters end up at the end of that first third and it got me confused. All the characters really. Mm-hmm. Like um, I, like there's the one moment of the climb, but that's the only real thing. Like we never see any other interaction. And again, we don't have to, but I, I, it, it did, it did no favors with me trying to connect to those moments. Kept being like, well, why is everyone like this? And then to your point that you said before, it, it, it being sort of more of a reflective thing, it does, it does feel like the structure of memory. Of course, things happen between the lines yeah um but i just remember being in the moment i'm like oh, okay so like i guess pietro's mad at his family and he leaves for 10 years or whatever i, I, like, I don't think he's you know the, the thing in the air is i don't think he's mad at his family i think he just wants to be on his own journey yeah he just bails well he just wants to be on a journey that is his own and well that's and fine I, but like they don't i don't they, I, I don't i don't know if he cuts out his family like he still calls them and talks I, you know I, all i'm saying there is i i you could read it and you certainly have of of him bailing on his family i, I don't i wouldn't read it that way i don't I would understand read it more as like he is growing up and and moving into his own into his own sphere i don't understand i i think they talk about how he never talked to his father like they mm-hmm. mention it a bunch mm-hmm. and i'm like why like like not not that like Again, for for the read that that I think you're getting, and and maybe it's all there and I just missed it, like, it feels like we should have some information about, like, they stayed in touch, but they Mm -hmm. never connected. You know, actually, you could even double down a little bit, and there was the one moment, there's one flashback during teenage angst, Bruno and Pietro, where they, like, run into each other in a cafe, and they just sort of, like, nod and don't say anything. Yeah, yeah, Like, because they were childhood friends, and they run into each other as teenagers, and they don't really speak until they're adults. And I've had that with some people, and it's always weird. That felt very true. Like, I would have liked, like, just a little bit of time more with sort of adult Pietro and his dad if it wasn't to, either I wanted to be told it was a bail situation or, or hinted at at least or I wanted to show like what the relationship was at all because by the time the father dies I have no idea what the relationship between Pietro and his father is and then it just caused me confusion and eventually it's not like it wasn't sort of like the fun confusion of like um, a mystery of a film because I do not think that's what this movie is about. I think it's about far more profound things than that. But it just it made it hard for me to like get into that flow state, I guess, of like, yeah. ah, it's taking me with it again. I, that's that's the first third, because I do think once we hit act two, things get house. much, much clearer. Yeah. Well, Pietro's father passes away, and this brings Pietro back to the to the Alps, where he meets Bruno again. And Bruno tells him 
that his father, by the way, we should actually look up the name of the father just so that I'm not. I'm not going to butcher these Italian names. I'm not doing it. It's, uh, it's Pietro's father. Pietro's father, Giovanni. I believe it's Giovanni. You butchered it. You yeah, butchered, butchered it. Giovanni. <laughs> um, you know, Giovanni has told Bruno that he always wanted to build this house here. I think even that, in, in and of itself, kind of tells you a little bit maybe about the how Pietro is feeling about his father and Bruno, which is there's an intimacy there that is not there with, his fa- with, with him and his father. You know, there's that, that surrogate child thing. You know, and, and as they go... Uh, as he goes and travels up the mountain uh, and finds all the journal entries that his father left behind, I think he does see that his, you know, Bruno was something different to his father than than he was. And I don't, I don't think he's mad about it. I don't think he, you know, like I just think he just feels that this wasn't the relationship we had. It was yeah, a different I, relationship. I don't yeah. think he that that sort of makes me even more conf- like again not. <laughs> Not that he should be mad at his dad, but yeah. I get so little information about the relationship anyway. I don't know how he should be feeling, which could be seen as a, a plus. But I, I... For, for me, I like that the film gives me the space to try and investigate that feeling. I love the space. I yeah. wish it was filled with more reasons to make calls. Like, right. like, even you know what. Even if they're conflicting, I just right. felt like there was like pieces missing. Even right. if like it wasn't, I, I don't want to clean like, well, the father was a drinker and yeah. he did the thing, you know, like whatever. Like, I don't need that. I yeah. just, I wanted more so I could at least have the the freedom to to more dive in and interpret what I'm seeing with more information. But I, I in that respect, again, in terms of like having the space, I love the, that the, the irony well, the sort of beautiful irony that Pietro becomes an avid climber, a great one, whom his father probably would have loved walking on, but it's just at a different time in his life. You know, he walked around the eight mountains and, and got to that point. And, and I, I kind of, again, just love the long view of the film as an observation about people. And I think you know? this goes back to you and I, the differences between you yeah, and I. Yeah. I find that incredibly sad. Like, it's right. moving. It's sad, yeah. And, but, but it's like, beautiful. But, well. <laughs> I find it beautiful. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I don't think I do. I think I find it kind of sad and a bit depressing. Right. Um, because knowing that that's sort of inside a person and, 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 and missing out on that, or in, in Pietro's case, Again, from the very limited information that I have, uh, you know, kind of like just saying, nope, screw you, dad, and not talking to him in those ways. Like, I, I just, like do you know what I mean? I, like, I, I agree. I, I understand what you're saying. I just don't think the movie suggests nor exists a moment where he says, screw you, dad. Well, I think he, what when, happens he, when he's is, a teenager, he does. But, but I think what happens is that, he just ooh, drifts away. That's it. That's it. That's it. The only way, I, the only thing I know about how he feels about his father is the teenage angst moment where he does basically tell his dad, screw you. Right, and that, but because but there, there's no big moments other than being kind to him as a kid, and then he's an adult where he's not around his dad anymore. So I read it as he was a petulant kid that was like, fuck this, I'm out, even though I don't think that's actually the case of the movie, and maybe that's where I'm like... Because eventually 
he becomes something else. You know, like he evolves through the film and changes who he is. And it's and I, I think there's a. I think that's why though. I think that's just because that's the only thing we get. But but also what's beautiful is that um, um, there's a line in this film. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they're talking about writing because because Pietro becomes a writer later on in life. Mm-hmm. He writes a book. And they talk about the power of words. And they say, uh, you know, Pietro says something along the lines of poor words means poor thoughts, which is something I actually really believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Bruno responds with, it's really powerful when someone finds their place in the world. And Pietro, for Pietro, it's ta- it takes him a while to find his place in the world. He doesn't know what it is when he begins climbing or when he goes, he goes to Nepal after his father dies Mm -hmm. and starts hiking then. And he starts to find his place in the world. And I think again, coming back to this metaphor, the eight mountains and, and, you know, someone walking around the mountains, that is his journey, which is that he doesn't know where he's supposed to be. Uh, He just knows it isn't supposed to be here. And then he travels. And I, and I just, I think that that idea that his journey could be, circular is is beautiful now the interesting thing is just to contrast that with bruno who almost steadfastly and kind of in a beautiful way you know start a life on the mountain and start a life as a as a cheese farmer um you know making cheese and then it goes tragically wrong for bruno as he um you know kind of loses it all and um retreats away further into the mountain and his his journey you could both read it as tragic because he, you know, like the spoiler for the end of the movie, he dies with the mountain. But at the same time, there's a wonderful idea, a sort of Buddhist idea in the middle of that, uh, which is that he kind of has the air burial that Pietro talks about when he visits Nepal. And uh, this is, be- by the way, that, that, that air burial idea is beautifully depicted in um, Martin Scorsese's film Kundun. Uh, where they actually show, you know, like the idea that, that that a body is left out for the vultures, and then the bones are taken up and ground up with yak butter, and then fed fed to animals and that sort of thing. The idea that you return to nature, mm-hmm. and for Bruno, you could argue that his body returns to nature, and this is like profoundly where he was meant to be. Um, and it's just, and and I, again, I don't think the film is making a judgment call about that, but no. it's just talking about the two journeys that these two people take. And the end, what's interesting about that is that, you know, uh, Pietro's first line in the film is a piece of dialogue is that I've never had a friend like Bruno. You know, I've never thought I would meet someone like him and who's someone who affected his life because it, it gives him a chance to reflect. And it's this long standing friendship that he has that lasts decades um, that means so much to him. It's like, you know, they, it, they are brothers, you know, mm-hmm. without, without, you know, without, um, without the sort of paternal uh, bloodlines. But they are connected by a father as well. Um, so and I, I think the movie is sort of making this beautiful statement about the fraternal relationship between men. And again, um, just in relation to the film Close uh, that I just watched. And just thinking, of, you know, again, thinking about the question that Connor asked, but also thinking about like certain people in my life that I didn't expect to be lifelong friends with right that you know and i just came back from new zealand where i visited a few of these people um and and it was like i you know when when you this person and i first met i didn't know that we were going to be lifelong friends and and our bond mean more than than i you know than just an acquaintance but yeah but it really has and and i like that the movie 
gave me an opportunity to reflect about those. You know, I guess the other side is male friendships, you know, male male relationships, which is why I also mentioned Mark Pagan's podcast, Other Men Need Help. Uh, Pagan, Mark has an episode, I think, about men who say I love you to each other. Mm-hmm. And I have two friends. I'll, I'll shout them out on the podcast. Um, Nigel and uh, Todd. You, I think you know both of them. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's really, I find, I'm giving a lot of information about myself here, and I, I hope these both, if they were these two people listen to it, they listen to it with, the, with the, the sort of sentiment that I'm wanting to express here. But both these men, whom I love deeply, have said to me, I love you on phone calls. They, they're just like, I love you. And I'm like, and I find it really difficult to say that back because I'm, I'm not trained in saying that. Sure. But I love that they have done that. And I love that they have like opened themselves up that way. And they've said it in a sincere way. And, um, and, and I think the film, along with the other film, Close, made me think a lot about male relationships, you know, because we, we sort of, we sort of, I guess, maybe in a sort of stereotypical way of trained to think about male relationships as combative or, you know, standoffish or at, at an arm's length. Um, and, but, you know, these two films that I watched back to back certainly depict the alternative that I, that I right. you know, am not, am not. Uh, th- that I'm coming to terms with. Yeah, no. And I, you know, like, you know, like, so that that's also what I was thinking about when I was watching this? Sure. No, and, and the same thing. Again, once we hit Act 2, I feel like a lot of my my uh, my criticism or things that weren't hitting me kind of bled, bled away because that was kind of the point. I don't think, I don't think there's enough media depicting I one of two things. One of them, which this movie doesn't deal with, but it, the platonic uh, friendships between men and women. Right. Like, uh, but but really, the other one we'll focus on here is like how, like deep deep male friendships that have like an emotional lifelong bond. Yeah. Like, um, that's not treated for comedy. Now, yeah. comedy obviously is yeah, a, depending it, on who well, you well, are. Like, is a, it can be a big part of it, but like. Uh, so I, this was obviously very refreshing to see and witness. It's funny you bring up uh, going back and seeing some folks from your life. I don't really have anyone past college mm-hmm. that I can really equate that to. But one thing I will say, and it's not the same thing, but it does tie back to a line that happens in this movie. Uh, I have, over the course of the last decade, convention friends. Right. People, when I go to PAXs or MAGFests or something that I only see once every two years or something. Tyler but, Durden might call them your single-serving friends. But, the, but well, here's the thing. <laughs> They're not my single-serving friends. Like, right. these, are, these are people that I've had deep, like, emotional conversations with, some right. of whom that I, I would say that I love. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's not the same thing that this movie is doing, but it, it, it is a aspect of sort of male relationships in the sense that it do, you don't have to be in constant contact with a person. If you click with that person for whatever reason, it's a real beautiful thing to be able to, when you return, ha- still feel like you have a strong bond, though you haven't spoken in eight months. Right. And like, I, I don't, you don't see that a lot. It, yeah. and movies are obviously a lot of times that's not the point, or it's doing short form for, uh, uh, you know, uh, like someone's pissed because someone's not talking or whatever. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it, this is not that. So I love that this movie does that. I think their their friendship overall is uh incredibly believable. And and it's and it's believable not because they're um 
not because like any situations that were shown in, uh, but like more so, this is where I think the movie did show enough to get the vibe across. Because you see them as kids as and the way that they are and there's just sort of a love and a camaraderie there like that's sort of instant and pal palatable that you see as opposed to it being told it to you in, in a verbal capacity. And you see that slowly unlock as they're adult men. Yeah. And that's just something that's like you don't get a lot. Yeah. And I, it was a joy to watch that happen and have the house be built. And then, of course, inevitably, when there is some conflict, it's not about anything that's like one of the Pietro's trying to basically, in a way, help his friend and his friend does not want any help. Yeah. Uh, and you could go with it. You can go one of two ways. Wow. Bruno's being a real stubborn son of a bitch on that mountain. Or, well, this is Bruno's life and he wants to live it the way he wants to live it. Now. <laughs> I think it, it, it's funny. We just did a series on the history of Buddhism and the Buddhist expansion. And yeah. I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Siddhartha Gautama's sort of life, uh, like pre him becoming the Buddha. Yeah. Uh, not, not really. But okay. Yeah, go ahead. So uh, Yashodhara was the Buddha's wife or was, was Siddhartha's wife. Yeah. And at, at this is I'm going to butcher this. Any Buddhas listening, uh, Buddhists in the uh, in the audience, just take this all with a grain of salt. I'm shorthanding something very complicated, but it does play into basically what happens to Bruno. And now I'm just putting together that uh, Buddha and Bruno is a very sort of uh, uh, you know uh, they're both wandering ascetics. Regardless, not really wandering, one stationary. But 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 Yashodhara in basically. Siddhartha one day wakes up and just leaves right. and abandons his family. And right. then he finds enlightenment he, through a bunch of different things. It's much more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of what Bruno does here. It's portrayed a little bit more damaging, uh, but like... He abandons his child. He abandons his child. Yeah, well, so it's funny. So B Siddhartha also had a son. He right. did abandon his son and Yashodhara. Yeah. Like, like... There's there's a lot of connective tissue here, and in different tellings of the of of uh, Siddhartha's journey to becoming the Buddha, sometimes it's seen as an act of sacrifice that he had to do. Other times, his family has seen as like more of like uh, an obstacle, and he was uh, in in the wrong form. Like there's a lot of different variations to it. The point is, with all of these stories, especially when you're talking about things like Buddhism, there's so many interpretations that you can read it almost like however you want to internalize it, which I think, going back to this, the end of Bruno, you you are forced to. You can have opinions about the abandonment of his family and, and the way that Pietro tried to help him slash control him beyond what his thing was and, like, the responsibilities that Bruno had, etc. But at the end of the day, Bruno wanted a certain thing, and that was more important than those other things. I think I think the thing was that Bruno couldn't... Like, Pietro says something to him, which was that, um, you know, Bruno says there is so much up here, and Pietro says there's more to life than what is up here. And and that's because Pietro has traveled the world yeah. and seen the world. And there's an interesting thing we, we, we've kind of glossed over here, but Pietro brings, you know, brings uh, a girlfriend back to the mountain whom then falls in love with Bruno and they, and, and it's not see you know, like in that sort of conversation about angst or dramatics, it's not a thing of, uh, tension between them. That is just like, that is your life and this is what's happened and, yeah. and I'm happy for you. Um, 
You know what I just thought about as you were talking about the Buddha? Yeah. Um, was um, Steven Spielberg's father. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, and I was thinking about Steven Spielberg's father because, uh, as, we, as we mentioned in our episode about the Fablemans, um, the Fablemans is kind of a zenith point about Steven Spielberg talking about his parents. And it is a story that he has told several times over in all of his films. And in a film like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Richard Dreyfuss's character, who is the father, abandons his family for this pursuit of finding these aliens. And then in um, uh, Catch Me If You Can, uh, he, you know, uh, Christopher Walken, who plays uh, 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 a sort of a father to Leonardo DiCaprio, mm -hmm. is tragically abandoned by his family. And then we see in The Fablemans, there's this sort of like third revision of this kind of story where, you know, it's revealed that um, uh, Spielberg's father um, took on the burden of abandoning his family so that no one would feel angst for his wife or for, for the mother or feel uh, bad towards the mother. And, I, and I, I guess what I'm saying there when you were recounting the story of the Buddha, that there are different revisions of how this story goes. The interesting thing in the Eight Mountains is, that, is the notion that Bruno, like, that Bruno essentially abandons his child. And, and his and wife. And his wife. And his wife and child know that there's something about him and the mountain that they can't, it was your line at the opening of this podcast, you can't help some people who don't want to be helped. And that is the sort of... That was the, the line I was going to do. I didn't oh, do that oh, line. Oh, you didn't just, do that you know, one. But yeah, oh, that okay. was my runner-up. Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's where I'm, I'm kind of landing yeah. here, is, is that... Is that I, I don't think it's tragic. I think it is the long view that this film has, which is that life is circular, indirect, messy, sometimes uh, difficult to comprehend, but it has its own sort of rhythm and nature to it. Hard to and say. It's a strange tree. It is a strange tree, and it and will it grow sideways or not? Um, and I like I just by the way that that's that like. I genuinely grinned when he came back and the tree was still there, but it had taken on this strange shape. Yep. You know, like it had bent into the mountain. Um, I, and I think, again, um, I like, you know, coming back to this question of what what have we learned about each other? Sure. <laughs> like, you know, like Connor has asked, what, what have you and I learned about each other? I do like, uh, th this is not a reflection on you, but this is just for me personally, I like the messy journey. And I like sure. the sort of like navigating things that force me to have to think about something that is not within the framework of what I understand in life. Like, I like that my friends, you know, who are great and I'm a dick, were like, I love you. And I didn't know what to say back. I like that I had to like, I was challenged to think about that. You yeah. Know? Like, I, you know, and, and, and I like that. And, I, and, and for me, uh, film is the way I navigate the world. It's the way I kind of think about the world. And and the world is strange and messy and doesn't make sense. And I like that. Uh, it's painful and I hate it when I'm living it. Sure. You know, like there are certain things that I like absolutely loathe. Um, and, and it's not to say that like there's a sort of like carefree attitude to the life because it's just, you know, the long view of it all. But I'm but I like that the f that this film, particularly, and again, thank you to Logan, again, what a wonderful gift this film was, um, gave me a moment to reflect on that. 
right? Yeah. Well, like, again, going back to sort of, again, uh, uh, Connor's email about, about, you know, our journey. I would say that our friendship is a messy one, but yeah. this podcast is our house. It is our house. Uh, <laughs> which is a strange thing. It's not going to sell as much for, as other real estate. I think we've made a poor financial decision. Um, <laughs> it is built out of straw. It is a house built out of straw. Yeah, um, <laughs> and we are. it's monsoon season. But yeah. <laughs> um, no, I'm very thankful for this podcast because honestly, like, we're different enough people. We're like, I don't think we'd ever stop being friends, but we definitely, because life gets busy in the way that we live our lives, I don't think we'd talk as much as we do. No, you and moved like, around the corner from me. I know. You know yeah. I know. And and, and no, and, and I'm thankful. I'm I'm you know what I'm actually more thankful for, honestly, just sort of again, I want to I want to give Connor the the honesty. I'm thankful for the times because we don't you and I are slammed. Yeah. Uh, I'm thankful for the times that we it's either before or after the podcast and when we're like, oh, what's going on? And we talk for 15 minutes about like some bullshit or like something cool because yeah. you and I don't get that time. But this is the excuse to do it yeah, for that time. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I, I'm always very thankful. And, I, you know, I feel like. Uh, when we're not angry at each other, we give each other good <laughs> advice yeah. and uh, things are better because we talk about that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I a thousand percent think I've learned if I, I'm trying to like hit all of Connor's points. Right. Uh, I think being your friend and doing this podcast with you has taught me how. How different deep relationships can be right like case in point like I, I don't know i we could list you could go back and listen to a bunch of podcasts with us just bitching at each other and just know everyone like we're mad at each other half the time for like a week and a half after the fact it's probably not about the movie it's probably yeah. about some other thing or the way that we communicate or like whatever what, but like yeah. i think something that actually here's something i value about our friendship i know that no matter how much we piss each other off, <laughs> that has a shelf life, but the friendship doesn't? Yeah. Does that I, make I, sense? I 100% agree, which is that the arguments matter because we both care about, we care about the subject passionately. We care about like trying to get the other person to hear what we're trying to say. And I agree. I think it's something special in the fact that you and I get this this time that we've manufactured for ourselves to do this, <laughs> and it, you know it, it comes. It, I will say it comes down to Gabriel Gordillo. <laughs> you know, wow. Because <laughs> shout out to Gabe Gordillo. We dropping last names. That's how special that man is. <laughs> but he, when when I first started at MTV, the first thing he said because I think I was actually replacing you on a job. Maybe. I think I think I was replacing you for a, for a project or something like that for for a short project, uh -huh. and and Gabe was like, "You and he need to hang out." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> and he was like, "He," and he just said, "You and he need to hang out at some point." And he and he, I think he he saw uh, probably in just our conversations that there was something there 
that we <laughs> knew we were going to both argue passionately about and just be thrilled to talk about with another person. We should thank Gabe by letting him pick a movie and have yeah, him should. on the podcast. <laughs> I haven't what talked are, to Gabe in Gabe's a minute. Favorite? Gabe's a baseball guy, is he not? Is that yeah, but I don't know if that's what movies he gravitates towards. Yeah, I'm trying to think what he's into. Yeah. I haven't spoken to Gabe in a while. Well, see, we could reach <laughs> out. No, uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Have we have we hit all well, of it's a, it's Connor's? A, it's, I think it's an interesting thing that Connor's asked, which is that what is what do we value most in in the time that we spend together? And I think it's the t it's the time you know, like you come over and water my plants while I'm away for three yeah, weeks. Yeah, you watch Zoe. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and yeah. I, I come and feed your cat. Yeah, um, there's a sense that um, even though, like, we care enough to argue with each other, mm -hmm. and we know that despite the arguments, I'm still going to feed your cat. You're still going to look after my plants. You know, like, and we're still going to get together roughly weekly to yeah. talk about a movie. We still, and despite best efforts, we haven't stopped doing this, <laughs> <laughs> which is, which has got to be, that's got to count for something. Yeah. Aw. <laughs> hey, Shahir, I love you. Uh, I, don't, I, I like you a lot. There man. you go. That's where we're at. <laughs> no, I want to say I love you too, man. I appreciate uh, it, it. It takes me a while to say it. Yeah, <laughs> it takes listen, me a while. I've been waiting eight years, so yeah. it feels really nice. <laughs> no, and, that, and again, I, I, you know, we're joking about it, but it, it, Connor, I don't think you'll get more of an honest sort of yeah. uh, response. And I hope everyone but Connor isn't like <laughs> isn't <laughs> bored by this psychological delve into why Shahir and I still talk. We should, uh, uh, we should, we should have paired this up with uh, the Paul Rudd, Jason Segel, oh, just Segel the, movie. I, I, I love, love you, man. man. I, yeah, yeah, I don't know if I've seen that movie. I'm pretty sure I have. I. I I'll go out on a limb here and say it does not have the uh, the the long view of relationships that the Eight Mountains does. No, they, but uh, yeah, I remember it being pretty good. They don't build a house. Yeah, they don't build a house together. on a mountainside. A and then one jokes. of them doesn't get eaten by crows. Man, that's the most metal way to die. I think I do want if I. You want to be eaten by crows? I think so. Well, again, you should watch uh, Kundun again um, because it's, it's beautiful, and um, it, it's like. When you see these vultures tear into this body, you're like, like I don't want it vultures though. I look, I've nothing against vultures, yeah. but I'm a gothy goth boy yeah. and I need it you to be crows or ravens. Okay, not 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 a wolf. <laughs> I mean, I'll take a wolf <laughs> if I if beggars can You know what's likely to happen though, and I've heard, I've read this is yeah. that cats eat their owners. I listen, <laughs> I've said this to Zoe. She's down here. I don't know if you can hear her over the noise yeah. gate. I give her full permission to eat my nose if I die on this apartment. <laughs> I don't and care. And she will. Yeah, like, I know she yeah. will. Yeah. Because I'm delicious. <laughs> anyway, last thoughts about uh, the Eight Mountains? Again, Logan, thank you for uh, sending that in. Uh, I didn't know much about this movie. I watched um, the Broken Circle, back uh, Broken Circle Breakdown, uh, which was uh, another one of the director's films before this. Uh, which which I recall appeared on Barack Obama's um, best movies of that year list. So I'd always been meaning to see it. Felix, Felix Van Groningen. Uh, and this is uh, also co-directed by Charlotte Vandersmeerch. Um, I, again, just what a wonderful gift, um, you know, to to see a movie I know nothing about. And that is not the prerequisite for me enjoying a movie. But but it's just, um, I you know, it wouldn't have happened if I, I wouldn't have sought out this movie. If uh, if Logan hadn't mentioned it, and it's uh, yeah. 
it's it's very special that we get to do that and people you know um write us in only at gmail.com you know like uh we don't have a, a request policy in place anymore um but you know on a case-by-case basis we will look at things and and this was one that i'm really glad we did yeah yeah, shout out to to, to uh, Logan and Connor as well uh, for for the for the the causality uh, effect. Shout out to Gabe Gordillo. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, I think uh, all these things. It's odd how how life uh, congeals into the way it does, but yet here we are. By the way, we do have a couple of other emails about Oppenheimer, talk to me, and things like that, but we'll get to those uh, in, in a week's time or so. Yeah. So thank you, everyone who wrote us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. That's right. This has been the only podcast about the film The Eight Mountains. Shahir, when you aren't uncomfortably professing your love to me, where can folks find you? <laughs> I, I practice in the mirror every day. <laughs> I love you, man. I love you, man. And then I get, I get in front of you and I say, I love Matt's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you can see me practicing on my website at www.shahirdab.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are climbing eight mountains, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me with one shot and one opportunity. <laughs> uh, and Mom Spaghetti over at my website. M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-I-R-O-L.com. My life and works. That site has not been updated in 10 years. Yeah. Or uh, Emperor MSK on Twitter. Uh, Skelter for Prez. That's the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram and PSN. Um, and uh, Matthew Kroll at Blue Sky. That's that's where I'm at as well. Um, next Blue week. I, I haven't done any of those, by the way. Blue Sky. Do you want Prez. a code? I'll give you a code. I, I don't know if I do want a All code. Right. <laughs> I, I think I'm... No. All right. Great. We should be B-Real friends, though. B-Real's the best. Is that still happening? Yeah, I love B-Real. B-Real's the only social media I like because it's just people I know. And I get to see them living, like, the mundanity of their lives. Like, 90% of it is my buddies looking at computer screens. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, uh, it's nice to know they're still there. <laughs> and such a missed opportunity to not have Be Real from Cypress Hill be the spokesperson for Be Real. Maybe they will if they can eventually afford it. I don't know how it makes money. But anyway, what are we watching next week? I actually, I, like, I just landed from being on the other side of the planet, uh... I know the we we oh we as we recorded these we were like what would be the the movie of the summer it is Barbie right Barbie yeah. was the the movie of the summer yeah a thousand percent uh, so we are uh, everyone is in film festival mode Telluride just happened Venice is happening uh, Ninja Turtles uh, took the thirteenth spot for the year there you go um, uh, it beat the Flash <laughs> oh oh I watched the Flash oh Oddly. did you I haven't <laughs> watched the Flash. I watched the Flash. Uh, here, okay, so my 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 spoiler free. There's a thing that happens, which is that when we have to do a movie that we're not going to talk about on the podcast, it becomes so low stakes for me. And then, like <laughs> at the same time, it's just like this is fine. <laughs> I was just like, I watched it. I was like, this is fine. Wow, <laughs> it's like ridiculous, but it was like this is fine. I have not seen it. I have not. I do want to. I don't think it's the right movie next. I do want to see Blue Beetle. I've heard really good things about Blue Beetle. Hmm. Um, but I, I don't. I I guess I've compartmentalized those films as like low stakes, which is sure. That if we have to talk about them, I'm gonna not enjoy it. Yeah, yeah but and I don't we, think but, we do. I, I think Blue Beetle would have been a good opening weekend movie because yeah. I think the conversation flows around it a little bit more and like yeah. what you know the rebooting of a thing and yada yada. But like, yeah, I don't know. We'll think about it. We'll think about it. We'll get back to yous. Yeah, uh, uh, there's, there's plenty out there. Uh, yeah, I've heard. I've heard they make movies sometimes. They do, and they do come out. And even though there's a writer strike going on. 
we can still see things. We can talk about older movies. We can we can, we can do a lot of things. We can do a whole bunch of stuff. Also, uh, go support the WGA and uh, SAG after any way you can. Uh, this thing is still going on. Uh, our hearts and our uh, partially wallets are out yeah. to um, to the strikers. Uh, that needs to keep happening. I cannot. I, it's funny. At first, I'm like, oh, I can't believe it's still happening. Of course I can, because because yeah. uh, corporations are greedy fucks. <laughs> anyway, we will talk at you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.